My name is Julie Kraft and I have bipolar 2 disorder. I'm Shaylee Hugendorn and I live with bipolar 2 disorder. I was diagnosed 10 years ago at the age of 36. I was told of my diagnosis and I remember being relieved but also terrified. I know um, the perceptions and the stigma that goes along with it. I started sharing my story about four or five years ago. I decided to come forward and start sharing. It's led to me meeting the most amazing people walking the same path. So we had talked about collaborating. My greatest hope is that others will hear our stories and feel less alone. We can offer insight and give the world a real life living example of what bipolar disorder can look like. This is bipolar. This is Bipolar. Hi friends, welcome to episode three. Can you believe it? Thank you for being here with us today. If you don't already know me, my name is Shaylee Huguenor. I am a wife, I am a mother, a teacher, an event planner. I also vlog um, with She Loves Magazine and I am a fierce, or becoming a fierce mental health advocate. Um, yeah. I just truly believe in sharing stories and that, that that's the only way we're gonna end stigma. Absolutely, and I am Julie Kraft, another passionate mental health advocate living with bipolar two disorder. And so I love um, speaking, I've written a few books. Um, I'm also an artist, so just having a blast um, using all of those passions of mine um, and throwing them into my advocacy right now. So thrilled to be here, thrilled that you are here watching. So ready to do this again, third episode. Third episode. Um, I love that you said that because we are uh, harnessing um, the good. We have learned this over years and years and years. And um, that's why uh, in our episodes, we're going back to tell you what it was like before because we just feel that that's so important because it took us so long to get diagnosed and that we know that bipolar is actually really hard to diagnose. We've talked about in previous episodes about anxiety and panic and we've touched on hypomania, but one thing we haven't really talked about in depth um, is depression. And so I wanted to start this episode. We know that it's called bipolar because it's two sides. And we, I wanted to talk about how we both experience depression and tell you stories. And just so that um, there's awareness out there, or also if you're struggling too, just an encouragement that there's a better way. And so Julie, I would love to hear um, how how you experienced depression? What did that look like for you, the bipolar? Right. Okay. So for me, looking back over my life, I can pinpoint one prolonged deep depression that I had. I was 19. I had just gone through a really bad breakup. I was living away from home at university. And so I skipped class. I ate the same thing every day for a year. I never went out. Really? And, yes. Do you want to know what it was? Yes. <laughs> Oatmeal in the morning. And then I made basically macaroni with tuna and a can of cream and cream of chicken soup. It was just a really hard time for me. I cannot believe that I somehow passed that year of university, but 
I think for me, that was really hard. I also had trouble staying awake when I did make it to class. Um, you know, my class notes would just become these scribbles. So that was about a six to eight month period of severe depression. But after that, and I've thought about it, I can't really think of one other episode of depression that I've had that has lasted more than even a couple days or a week. And so I've now come to learn that I have rapid cycling bipolar disorder. And so the official definition is if you have four or more mood changes or swings during a 12 month period, well, I've gotta be honest with you, sometimes I feel like I have those swings during even a day or a week. And so for me, a depressive episode or um, a time of depression, I would feel overwhelmed. Um, phone calls and emails, texts, overwhelming. So I would just sort of shut down, not in a place mentally where I can answer them. I would feel more tired. Um, just that excitement gone from life. Um, it's almost as if you're living, but color is the saturation point is, you know, taken down. So life, just looking forward to the future, things that would normally make me really excited. I just have this hopelessness. Um, but it's also really hard because I was a mom from age 23 on. Our family also moved around a lot. And my husband had a very, has a very intense job that requires him to be on 24 seven and traveling around the world. I somehow managed to keep going, um, do the best I could. Um, my kids never missed a day of school, but I think whatever I could on the home front, you know, groceries didn't always get done on a regular basis. Just things that I could normally do suddenly became very overwhelming. As far as what depression looked like for me, um, yeah. that's, that's a glimpse that I can give. Um, that's fascinating. Um, the one part that uh, they have they use to diagnose is if you've had a at least one prolonged um, depression. My um, the way I experienced depression is much different than Julie. I was very very cyclical, and so um, how it would go was starting end of October, I could feel things, less ideas, and just kind of meh. And then by the end of November, I would be full on, just uh, everything goes gray. Like you said, everything goes gray, and I just feel numb. And then I would get a blip, because Christmas is exciting, right? But literally by the end of January, I would be so little anxious over Christmas as well because I knew it was coming every January for honestly as long as long as I can remember back to my 20s I had some depressions um, in the high in high school but not the same and every, I knew I knew it was going to come every year and I guess some people say well that's nice that you got to plan you know you knew at least you knew and it's like no because it's still terrible and I knew so I, it's almost like it would wreck the months before it because I knew it was coming and I would try and finish all the things because I knew I was out of commission and um, Julie mentioned about um, with the children and so before the for my kids um, I also I finished my university degree but when I was depressed um, I basically just got up and went to school 
and did the homework and that was it. That was all I could do. And um, I had very, I had to escape it. My, my instinct is if I, I don't want to sit in feelings, I'll do anything like to get out of it. I'll call somebody this, that, like I, uh, people do different things in states of depression or emergency. And I'm like, get busy, even though I don't feel like it. So, um, I also use escaping. I'm a huge reader. And so all I wanted to do was be reminded that there is more to life. And so I would watch mass amounts of TV and read mass amounts of books just so that I could live through other characters because I didn't feel like I was living. Was I walking through the steps? Absolutely. Because there was something in me that was like, uh, you know, just one thing. And I, 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 I give it up a lot to my faith, holding some hope um, yeah. that I had to put one foot in front of the other. And not every day, I would skip the minimum amount of classes to, to pass. And, um, and then, like you said, when I did get them, um, when I was a mother, I, I couldn't. And if you're someone that right now couldn't, can't keep going, don't feel bad. No. Right? yes, go and get help. But if you're having a hard time getting, you are not a bad mom. No. Have an illness. So I just want to say that because I know it's similar in Julia's nice stories that we kept going. But if you can't, that's normal for depression too. And you might want to look into that. So I just wanted to say that. I'm always worried about making people feel worse because well and I and I think that's the other uh, thing that made things worse I would compare myself and how I was doing as a mom and a wife to everyone else around me and I number one we can never play that comparison game but number two I needed well at the time I didn't realize but I also was living with a very real mental health condition. And so imagine me not knowing I have bipolar two disorder, then comparing my lowest lows to someone else's productivity. And so absolutely, if you are in a place right now where you are overwhelmed, having a hard time, just, you know, getting your child, it's okay. You are not a bad mom. You are not a weak person and you are not alone. So yes, yes. absolutely. It's so important to mention that yeah yeah and so like I said my personality is to escape my feelings at all costs because they're they're too painful and so I I would escape at all costs and I would I would do the mothering and I would do the the things um I had decided to stay home so I wasn't um, the first years I wasn't working. So I did try to keep up with the domestic duties only because, not because it was an expectation from my husband, only because I felt I put that on myself. Like if you can't even do that, my mean voice would be like, what a loser are you? What kind of mom are you? What kind of wife? Like fail, 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 fail. And I sat in that, in that failure and that numbness and everything, uh, that would normally give me energy drained me. I still, not as many, but I still forced myself to go out. And looking back, I was proud of that, that I didn't stay in bed. But looking back, and the more I know about therapy, actually sitting in it and recognize it probably would have helped me get out of it a little bit um, um, sooner. But I refused 
to uh, do the do more than um, than I had to in the thinking. So that's yeah. not just the physical exhaustion, but I slept also to escape. And I didn't have suicidal ideation, but I can relate in that I knew it was a, t a per period of time till May, so it would be January to May, and. I would just say, I just wish I could sleep until then. I just don't want to be here until then. Yeah. And so my heart goes out to people that just have depression because not knowing that I would have that reprieve, uh, I just, my heart goes out because it's so devastating. And I remember with the escapism, we would go for drives and I remember I would like look at windows going by or people walking and I would just imagine and just, uh, just pray and and wish and hope that one day I would I could have a winter that just looked average and that I could actually get things done or just that I could just be okay I didn't know how to be okay um, in the winter time and no matter what I did I couldn't stop it from coming back couldn't I couldn't stop it from coming back and and in those times I, I did I did ask for help but before I talk about um, um that kind of thing when you felt like that did you were you able to acknowledge like this is very different than what I was feeling before right or did you think if I succumb to this I might never get out of bed like I'm trying to think if think it what was in running around in your head during those times yeah it's it's so funny because i almost feel like i've had more experience with the hypomania side of bipolar and so i can more notice the definite difference between when i'm feeling hypomanic and not and then i have to go on and say when i'm not feeling hypomanic is that my sort of normal baseline or is that depression and I once saw an analogy. Oh, it might happen, Shaylee. I've gone three episodes without crying. Okay. But we're being real and we are being honest. It's the only way to be. And so I once saw someone speaking. I think her name was Laura Bain, so I'll give her credit. But she was speaking. It was one of the first videos where I saw someone else with bipolar 2 disorder speaking confidently, openly, honestly. And she sort of described that living with bipolar is sort of like wearing a sparkly high heel on one foot and a big slipper on the other, and then just trying to navigate life between those two extremes. And so I've often wondered, have I ever really ever felt that in between normal or do I always live, um, you know, swinging from high to low? And so ah, I can't I even tripping over it I, yeah. I see that image like tripping and kind of stumbling instead of walking through life whoa yeah and so and and because i have those swings and those switches so quickly it's all sort of sort of muddled so much so that i can't even remember your question <laughs> no i was just asking what what kind of what went on in your head you were talking about how you had to keep mothering and that kind yeah, of yeah and you know, sometimes people that don't experience depression, it's so hard to describe to them. And so almost every summer we're in British Columbia, Canada, and we have forest fires, unfortunately. And so a big chunk of our summer last year, smoke 
clouded out the skies. It was very eerie, almost apocalyptic. And the sky was just, even though it was noon or 9 a.m. and the forecast would say bright blue skies and sunshine, you would look out and it would just be this gray. And I just remember hearing people on the radio saying, this is so hard. When is the end? When are we going to see blue skies? And I'm like, this is probably the closest Wow. Way to describe depression because you know the world is out there. You know people are living life in full color. You can see the forecast that the sun is there, the skies are blue, but it's just completely clouded over with no guarantee of when it's going to end. And I, I just thought if I ever need to try to describe depression or how it sort of feels when you're in the middle of it, this is it. And, you know, to know that everyone else out there in that situation felt that hopelessness, that depression, like they were missing out. We were missing out on our summer, on the best time of the year in this province. And then with no guarantee when the skies were going to clear. The only thing I held on to during that is the fact that that forecast did say no matter how dark the storm, no matter how dark the cloud, the sun is always there and it will shine again, and the sky is blue. This is temporary, this depression is temporary. And so my thoughts during any of those lower times is just literally to hang on, whether it's for the next minute, the next hour, the next day, and just you almost have to go back into your memory and know this too shall pass. I don't know when, I don't know how, but it will. And so that that's how I've, survived in the past before I was diagnosed. And that's still how I get through, you know, now. And I know in the future, I'm going to have those dips. I'm going to have those times when the clouds, you know, come over and I can't see the light. And so if anything, I feel like, you know, I can speak more to the hypomania, but for anyone right now, if you are definitely in that more depressed state, ah, just hang on. The light is there. Even if, you know, even if it's one minute at a time. Yeah. And so I'm going to quit rambling. <laughs> you know, rambling. If you feel, to add on to that, if you feel like you can't get out of that. And the most terrible thing about depression is the things that you're supposed to be doing to help you feel better are almost impossible. So the go for a walk, you know, get out in the sunshine, drink your water, get to the doctor. Those feel so overwhelming and like mountains. And some people that don't experience it are just like, why won't you help yourself? Yeah. It, you, you can't understand what it's like. If, if we want to keep going with shoes, yeah. you feel like you have cement blocks yeah. and you're just trying to get to the day, the thought of getting to a doctor's appointment or this or that. So if you're someone struggling right now, I just encourage you to, to just get yourself there um, and get the help you need. And if you can't hope for yourself, find people that'll hope for you. We and are hoping for you. <laughs> we are. We are hoping for you. And um, something that I related to that you talked about that I thought was fascinating is you said during your one long depression that you ate the same thing every day. Yeah. And one of the things that happened to me, because I got so many misdiagnoses, because I'm like you, I went to the doctor during uh, a lot of different depressions. I even tried medicine, but nothing worked. I thought it was my lot in life. Um, but one thing that would happen, and it wouldn't be present any other time of the year, 
But one of the things that would happen is I couldn't control anything, right? Like I couldn't control being sad. I couldn't control when the light was going to come back. I couldn't control that I just wanted to sleep um, and just the desperation. I couldn't control any of that. I didn't know. Um, so what I would control is my food. So I wonder if that was kind of a thing, but you didn't know then. And my exercise. And I had always been, um, you know, uh, looking back, not much, but I've always been a bit heavier um, than I am now. Um, you know, most of my high school and a little bit into my 20s, I, I weighed more, but I would go up and down. So basically, I would get so controlling. I would write down everything. I would um, exercise like obsessively to make up. So then I would um, binge, but I wouldn't purge. I would just try to exercise to do it off and then beat myself up. And it took, took over my thought life. Like, I can't even tell you how much I mourn about how much food and exercise and my body, um, how much it took over. And then of course you feel sicker, right? I wasn't eating healthy. I wasn't um, doing the things. And I remember trying to like explain it a little bit to friends here and there. And of course we do the things, right? We either try to relate, which sometimes negates your story. Um, we either really quickly give some things to fix it, right? Yeah. Or we tell you what our friends have done to feel better. All of those things don't make us feel better. Yeah. Um, but I remember I would try and say, and everyone would be like, oh, but you know, you're not that overweight or you're not this. But I remember one of my deepest depressions, um, I gained 24 pounds in four weeks. So I, what would happen was I would be feeling so terrible that I would start to think about what I couldn't have. Cause in my mind, there was good foods and bad foods. And I measured my day on how much I ate and how much I exercised. That was all that was important. And I remember the feeling would be like, you can't have that. You can't have that. And as soon as you think you can't have something, what do you want? You want yeah. the thing. So I remember I would go and I would like joke with the corner store guy that, Oh, me and my friends are having a pig out but it would be me I would buy chips and chocolate and I would buy all of it and I would think this is your last chance and I would eat it all until I felt sick and I know now that that's a numbing behavior yeah. I know now that eating mass amounts of carbs would give you little serotonin yeah. bursts so my body was looking for that and so I even got diagnosed with disordered eating but it was really confusing to the doctor because the other parts of the year yeah. Couldn't even tell you what I ate for breakfast. Didn't know, right? Didn't right, know. I know sometimes when we're working together on a show, we'll both say to each other at about two, I haven't eaten anything today. So, you know, that's during the, the highs and the great times, but. Yeah, yeah. And so that was, um, yeah, that's a part of how, how I dealt with depression. And one thing Julie and I talked about that, we're sharing the worst of the worst here because uh, that's what, you know, that's where we think people might be hiding or might need comfort or, or need to hear that part of the story. But we were a very, we want to be very clear that there were times, I even talk about a cycle, but there was times in those cycles where, you know, we're functioning at what you would consider our baseline. Like we had, I had lots of days in a row that, you know, between the depression and the hypomania, or even during uh, the hypomania, there's different 
levels of it. And so um, I don't want people to be thinking like we're always this way or we're always right. happy or all our decisions are informed by our depression or anxiety. We lived a lot of very, what people would call maybe normalish days. Do you yeah. agree? I agree. And I know for me, when I did come forward um, and share with the world and a lot of my friends about my disorder, I did get someone comment, well, which Julie did I get? And was our friendship real or were you wearing the mask? And so that's been really hard for me to go back in my friendships. And I've said, no, our friendship, the times that we shared, you know, they were genuine and they were real. I wasn't wearing a mask all the time with everyone. And so that's something that I've had to just, you know, take a deep breath, but then also realize that my, the way I was in my friendships in a more depressed state, I've had to kind of accept that, yes, my friendships were affected and I did hurt a lot of feelings. And when friends left phone messages that went unanswered, I've now had some really tough conversations where my friends have said, you know what? I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if he wanted to end the friendship or if I should keep calling. I didn't know the right thing to say or if I had turned you off. And so I've actually had the chance. It hasn't been easy, but I've now been able to go back and say, you know, it wasn't you. It was the depression. I was so far into the forest that I couldn't even, you know, see to the next tree or two and so you know to be able now to go back and explain that when you're depressed and a phone call comes in you can't answer it it's it's not because you don't like that person it's because you literally cannot physically sometimes pick up that phone or mentally you know put out that energy and so to be to be able to now explain that to people has been so healing and so freeing for the most part my friends have just said thank you so much for letting us in and explaining that to us because now it all makes sense and you know people are pretty amazing and pretty forgiving but we definitely have periods in our life where what you see is what you get and when we're smiling it's genuine and we're happy and life is good um i do think i have a lot more of that swinging and it's not as predictable but absolutely there are definitely those times where i guess and i don't even know what the definition of normal but you know there are definitely there's those more even times yeah, and I think even, I mean, we use the word because it's, it's there, but um, I find it really comforting one time when a therapist said, like, everyone has their own baseline. Shaylee, stop thinking about normal. Like, you've yeah. spent so many years and tapes thinking about shoulds and normal yeah. and be this way, and you're not going to get better if you stay in those places. Yeah. And so I love that you brought up baseline because it's true. My baseline is going to be very different than Susie's baseline or Bob's baseline. And that's, that's okay. And the acceptance has, has set me free. And I loved what you said about friendships and I would love, um, mine was a bit of a different experience, but I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, about the uh, the friendships that i had so i've uh, uh, i collect like i'm a gatherer so i like a lot of friends and parties and people um but i, I always do have a, a a close circle and um i think what would happen with me is i would still uh, i could 
um, answer the phone and I could do the things because the guilt and the shame I would feel about not doing it was worse than not answering. So that propelled me. So it, it isn't a good thing. It's just how, how I did it because I knew that hours and hours I would spend thinking about it and feeling guilty. So I might as well just answer it, right? How, which one's going to feel worse. And so I would still do the things, but when I would pull back was only because I don't have an inner monologue. So I say what I'm feeling and yes, of course I can read the room and I, I can manage that a bit more like more now, but then I couldn't, I'm not, I can't pretend. And so I wouldn't be, I felt like Debbie Downer. Um, I felt, I also felt like my friends are going to get sick of hearing the same thing every year about the numbness, about how I was struggling um, and always asking them if I look like I've gained weight or um, always wondering, because my husband did a really wise thing is he, we, we were not allowed to have a scale because he knew how I could be. Um, so my way would be checking or if someone honestly, I would just like to say to people, if you want to help and you, you don't know what people are struggling with, please, please, please don't keep a scale in your bathroom. I know it sounds terrible, but I remember I couldn't, there was a party and I couldn't even, I went to the washroom so many times obsessively weighing myself. I couldn't even go to the party. So if there's that one little thing that we could ask, because you don't know how people are struggling and, and eating disorders and disordered eating and thinking is one of like, it's deadly. So that would just, I just thought of that now, but that was actually a really helpful thing to me that my husband was like, Nope, we don't own one. We don't own one. And I was like, okay. Um, but uh, so friendships, I would keep, I would keep them going, but they, they could definitely notice a difference because I'm much more intense and, uh, you know, in contact all the time and texting them all my ideas. Cause to me, there's this weird thing. And I thought everybody felt it until I shared once, but things and experiences, because I'm such an expert, they don't feel real unless I've experienced them with someone else. So that's why I can't like, I work on this being present and, you know, meditating and stuff like that, which is hard. Um, and I have to do it in different ways, but, um, I just would get so sad because I really believed in, in shared experience and I just love community and I couldn't find anybody online or anything that was talking about the depth of my sadness. I just want to ask really quick, um, how were your friendships through that? It sounds like you were far more open than I ever was. And it sounds like, you had amazing friends, but were they saying the right things or were they just sort of buckled up through the winter with you? Or how did that look like actually in your friendships? Yeah, I think we definitely hung out less, but I was grateful that it was the winter because you can kind of use that, right? right. Like, you don't go out as much. There's not as many events. So I could kind of hide behind that. And I was only honest to a point, right? Like I wasn't like, I think I have a disorder to eat eating or I binge last night and as women one of the conversations we have that I just would like to get rid of is we're always talking about we always talk about it right like yeah. it's like this this thing that I, I'm just trying not to do it like oh I cheated or oh I ate too much or oh I you know and so I would talk about it just enough that it was norm normalized or maybe I was obsessing a little bit but didn't tell them how 
it took right over and I was afraid that they wouldn't wouldn't like me anymore and uh, I know I wasn't as fun but luckily the the close ones stuck by me and yeah the fact that the fact that people only understood the stereotypes no one would ever guess that I was depressed right and the other part of the year made up for it was so chilly that yeah. it made up for those other parts so there I didn't I've ebbed and flows in, re, in relationships but um you know the few close ones they tried to understand um you know some of them kindly like their kind hearts would be like this is what you got to do or I'll get you out or you know that kind of thing but only because I, I knew they cared but yeah. I, I probably, if I didn't know what I was experiencing, I probably wouldn't know what to say either. And we are terrible at sitting in our feelings and sitting in other people's feelings. I just want to say one more thing because I'm obsessed with Brene Brown, but yes, say it. <laughs> he has this video and you know what, we'll share it one day on our social media, but talking about the difference between um, empathy and sympathy. Yes. Yeah. And did you, have you seen that? I've the seen the video the with the bear. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's easy for us to feel sorry for someone, right? And feel sympathy, but empathy actually asks you to find that in yourself. Yeah. So maybe you've never had depression, maybe you've never had uh, clinical, these things, but it makes you, like being vulnerable, it makes you have to recognize that in your own or sit in it. And that is much harder than feeling sorry for for, yeah. for someone. And I think that, um, I think that it's something we can work on and we've talked about doing an episode. Definitely. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing to remember. Um, people want to help. They care. Sometimes they just don't know the right way to care. So sometimes they end up not doing anything, not saying anything. And then we interpret them, um, interpret that as them not caring. But, um, you know, if you're someone living alongside, um, please don't give up on us, you know, and that's why we are going to talk about this going forward. Just some of the things that you can do or say that might seem so tiny, but might mean the world to us. And I think that sketch showed the little bear instead of handing a sandwich down to someone in a hole, the video, yep. getting the ladder and climbing down there with you. Just being there is sometimes um, enough. Show up, right? And I think too, um, what I've learned over the years is vulnerability leads to connection. And it leads, I feel deeply, whether it's up or down, I feel deeply. And um, uh, the relationships I've formed with the people that I can be completely honest with are deep and beautiful and meaningful. And I used to care more about having 50 jillion friends and I've realized that having the ones that can see all of me and I can show up as my full self yeah. is um, is the the most rewarding because vulnerability absolutely attracts uh, um, connection and I think that that would be our encouragement to you um, find a, a safe person find someone even speaking the words aloud if you're not there yet even writing them yeah writing them down um, just just getting it out of out of here and um yeah wow that was powerful friend <sighs> so many more thoughts eight thousand more episodes but yeah i guess we don't want to overwhelm 
everyone in one episode, but I, I can't express enough just how healing and what a big part of me getting to today. Um, biggest part of that has been coming forward and sharing and it's not always easy. It's taken me a long time to get to this place, but I can honestly say the friendships that I have, the connections and the relationships, I wouldn't trade them in. They mean the world to me. They're authentic. They're based on complete honesty, vulnerability, and that really is the only way um, to live. And so even if this episode just even gets you thinking and showing you the possibility that it is possible to take that mask off, come forward, be 100% yourself, the good, the not so great, and then just to know that I never gave people the chance to show me how amazing they really are. And I just assumed everyone wouldn't be able to deal with a bipolar diagnosis, wouldn't know, you know, what to do or say, and that they would all back away and I would be on my own. And I couldn't be more wrong. Yep. So I love, I, I, I love everything you just said. It's true because all of these things, the, all of these things, this vulnerability and this sharing, um, we do for ourselves too, because it's healing and we want to show you all the sides because this is bipolar. Mm -hmm.